If you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Romans. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4 this morning. Man, you're beautiful. You want a monster? Yeah, that'd be great too. <laughs> While you're at it, you know. <laughs> Man, God is, uh, is so good. As we've been working our way through the book of Romans, one of the things that I'm hoping that we're going to be able to nail down, and, and it's an area that people struggle in all the time, and that is... Uh, Really coming to understand what justification is all about. So you remember as we begin, the book of Romans is going to divide it into two parts. And the, and the first part that we're looking at, the theological point, is that we need the righteousness of God. There is no way for you and I to stand before God without His righteousness. God has laid out for us what the requirement is, okay? So, just in case there's any doubt, the Lord has said, Be ye perfect as I am perfect. So, if we can measure to that, then we're good. You don't need Jesus. You don't need anything else. You just show up and, and reveal your righteousness to God. But just in case we, we were in that mindset, in Romans 1 through 3, from about 118 to 320, Paul lays out for us the fact that we are broken. We don't function right. We are not able in our present condition to love God like He deserves. We are not able in our present condition to honor God like He deserves. We struggle with valuing the creator of the universe. And so the, the word of God declares to you and I, we're guilty. Before our creator, we stand guilty. Romans 1 through 3 speak of our condemnation before a holy and just God. And look at you guys. Oh, well. <laughs> Don't get too excited. Now, I still have water. And I'm going to need them both, just so you know. Okay, so the Romans 1, 2, and 3. We, are, we stand condemned before holy, just God. Now, right about the time when we finish Romans 1, 2, and 3, and we consider the, the righteousness and the justice and the goodness and the holiness of God, which we cannot diminish... What saves us is another attribute of God. And we're told about it in John chapter 3 verse 16. Right? For God what? So loved. The Bible tells us that maybe for a good man, someone would die. But Jesus demonstrated His love toward us in that when we were yet sinners. Now, remember the definition of sin. I don't want you to think, I want you to think when we talk about sin, at the bottom line, we hated God. So when we hated God, He died for us. And it helps to get the right view of what it means when Jesus Christ bore our sins on His back, because so often we think about our sins that we do to one another, but in reality, the sin Jesus bore on His back is the fact that we hated God. 
We dishonored Him. We didn't love Him. The God of the universe bore all of that upon Himself. So when we think of a scripture in in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, He who knew no sin, who never devalued God, who, who never hated God, who only lived in a relationship of utter and complete love between the persons of the Trinity, became our hatred so that you and I could become right with God. Oh, that's the plain teaching of Scripture. So when we come to the concept of I am guilty and broken, I must then rely on the attribute of God uh, of love, that He loved me so much that He made a way so that He could have me. Because God, the Creator of the universe, could have started over. He could have just said, and everybody's gone. And He said, I'll just start over. These guys are knuckleheads. I'm going to do something else. But that's not what He did. He made a way for me. He made a way for you. He made a way for us. He made a way for all mankind. So that we could have a relationship with God. And that concept in Scripture is, is called salvation. And, and salvation is broken up into three parts. And the problems that we have in understanding salvation stem from a misunderstanding of what those three parts are. And I'm hoping while we park and camp on this for a while, because because the, the the concept of justification, principle number two, the miracle of justification, that that God in His love for you and I became our failure, so that we might have a, a relationship with Him, <clears throat> in that we might be declared right with God. That's justification. Salvation breaks down. It's not, by the way, theological terms. It's biblical terms. The biblical terms for salvation are justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification is the reality that I haven't done anything but put my faith and hope in the love of God that His sacrifice makes me clean. And the Bible says from that moment, it's wholly and utterly dependent on the work of Christ. Not on any work you can do. We're going we're gonna to break that down a little bit today. Not dependent on any work you can do. It's wholly, totally, utterly dependent on Jesus Christ. That justification, the lens, if you will, the covering that God lays over the believer... And the Father looks at you and says, You're good. You're right. You are just men made perfect. Not because you finally reached sinless perfection, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you. And your faith in that. You're made right. That's salvation. That's what it is to be saved. But but you guys know God don't stop there, right? I told you there are three words. If, if there was only one word, we'd stop there. But there's three. The Bible says we are also sanctified. That means that there's a process through which God works in our life from now till our death, by which He makes us holy. In other words, our walk comes more and more in line with the walk of Christ. 
than it did in the beginning. That's sanctification. He sanctifies us. Sets us apart. Glorification is the final consummation of your salvation. And that occurs the day you see Jesus face to face. Then, and only then, will you be set free of sin. Until that, it's, a, it's our surrendering to Christ and His work in us that makes us holy. And it's trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection that saves me. As that trust. Now today we're going we're gonna to talk about a, a little bit about the illustration of that. One of the things we discover as we work our way through the Bible is that if there is a, something in the New Testament, some New Testament concept, we will always see an Old Testament picture. If we don't, then I tend to wonder about that concept. That concept is invisible in the Old Testament, and it just seems to appear in the New Testament. I, I think that indicates I have a problem in my interpretation of what I'm looking at. So as we look at it today in, in uh, Romans chapter 4, just, just come along with me. It says, What then shall we say? That Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes upon him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Now does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith with which he was had when he was still uncircumcised. So that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, so that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if... Those who are of the law are heirs. Faith is made void and the promise of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you this morning. And Lord, as we discuss the subject of justification and understanding wherein lies the, the purpose or the part of works in our salvation. God, I pray, Lord, I pray that... Uh, God, you give me words that are clear. 
and easily understood, Lord, that you might be glorified and magnified in this place. For we want to honor you in all that we do. So God, we pray that you would anoint this time with your presence as we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the first part, Romans chapter 3 from verse 21 to 31, tells us that our salvation is dependent on the finished work of Jesus Christ. It depends on Him. Now here's what happens when we talk about justification. Two errors creep up. One error that creeps up says, Well, I believe, I believe in in Jesus Christ. I have taken Him as my Savior. And they enter into a, a, I don't know, a good name for it. Sloppy agape. They enter into a, a concept of salvation that is based on intellectual assent. The other error, and the one, the one that I think is, is least worrisome, is that we would enter into salvation, and in that salvation, we would uh, uh, begin to believe, well, we can do whatever we want. Because of fear over the second, the first becomes the most prevalent. See, we're so worried that people are going to understand grace and continue to live in sin. We don't trust the sanctifying work of God. We don't trust the Holy Spirit to move and work in people's lives. So we develop a, a sense of legalism by which you do this, these other things in order to be saved. And we have taught people that intellectual assent is all that a person needs. But as we look at the example before us, not only does our salvation wholly depend on Christ... But we can see it described to us in a life of Abraham. That's what chapter 4 is all about. Now, I was going to go through the whole chapter, but we'll never make it. So, we're going to go through the the first part and then the the second part next week. But the point of chapter 4 is sola fide. That's Latin. It means faith alone. Period. Faith. Alone. Let's look at what he says and the examples that he gives to us. He begins with the problem of works. Look, look what he says. What shall we say then? Abraham our father is found according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Does Did Abraham find he was justified by works? Now just to make life a little more confusing, we have right after... Uh, the book of Hebrews, we come to the book of James. I invite you to flip over there with me. We'll park there for a minute. In James chapter 2, I want you to hear this. In James 2.21, it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So in one you say... Was not Abraham justified by faith? Don't we see that? Didn't he learn that it was not about his works? And then we come to James, and James says, well, here, it was about his works. And this is where 
So many times, believers struggle. They struggle between the concept of what is uh, uh, um, eternal security, what's that look like, what's the reality of that, um, uh, how, how important is how I live my life and the things I do. And to try to help people, the church develops rules and regulations our own particular concept of law that we think by doing certain things, you can then make sure that your faith is real. Look, the Bible tells us this. Do not be deceived and do not deceive yourself. James chapter 2 has a lot to tell, so we're going to look at it right now. But we're going to back up because in order to understand what James is talking about, we got to get the whole picture. You see, what James is describing in James chapter 2 is what real faith looks like. And it's an important concept for us to understand because one of those errors is self-deception. Self-deception that somehow I believe when perhaps I don't believe at all. Well, I believe. I believe Jesus existed. I, I believe some of the things the Bible says is true. Well, let's look. James 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, what we don't see in the English, and one of the things that we struggle with, is that word faith. Can that type of faith, can the type of faith that never does anything be saving faith? That's the question James is answering. What he's really telling us is what is saving faith. Because we confuse it all the time. When I was a little kid and I was talking to my friends at school, I used to ask them all the same thing. Do you believe in God? And they, they and almost most of them would tell me, yeah, I believe in God. And I think, oh, cool. Then you're, then you're good. I just want to make sure, you know, you believe in God and, 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 you know, you're going to heaven right on. That's cool. But was that really belief? James describes to us saving faith. So he says, he says in verse 14, what does it profit if someone says he has faith? There is a concept in scripture that we struggle over sometimes. The concept is this. There are professors and there are possessors. A professor says he believes. A possessor actually does. And understanding the difference in that faith is kind of important. So that people don't deceive themselves. I know people are going to deceive themselves. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is going to say to them, depart from me. You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. That's Jesus talking about those who would stand before Him having deceived themselves. So I I want it to be clear for us. Hopefully, I don't make it less clear. My goal is not that. So when we look at it, let's see. James lays it out for us. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you don't give them the things that are needed for the body. What does it profit? You ever been hungry? Like, for example, right now, I'm kind of thirsty. So, oh, that's kind of refreshing. 
The big green one down there might be more refreshing, but I'm going to stick with the water for now. So, what if somebody just walked by me and I said, man, I'm so thirsty. And they said, well, be unthirsty. Well, you think it'll work? Well, thanks, brother. I suddenly feel unthirsty. Or if I... I'm sitting around at one o'clock today. I'm going to be sitting out here and, and, and Joe will get brought in and me and Kathy will get ready to go home. And I will utter these words, man, I'm hungry. If Kathy just said, we'll be filled. Oh, that's perfect. If that worked, I would not look like this. I look like this because that doesn't work. So, the point that James is making is when we say the words, we got the easy part done with. We say the words, that's easy. He says what's reality is when you actually hand a brother food or you give him a blanket. Look what he says as he brings that point around the faith. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. That kind of faith. That kind of faith that is in lip service only. Are you guys with me? Just lip service. Just saying the words. That's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What he's saying, I want you to kind of bring it around to this. The concept of works is the idea of a changed life. Okay, if I say to you, well, I'm just going to show, I, I'm going to show you my faith. Well, the Bible tells us faith is invisible. You can't see faith. But like the Holy Spirit, you can't see the Holy Spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit, right? You can't see the wind, where it came from, or where it's going, but I can see the leaves and the branches being moved, right? You with me? So real faith culminates in a changed life. That's works. Real faith culminates in a changed life. Look what he says. He says in verse 19, You believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So, if my... You know, the devil's theology is not all that messed up, guys. The devil believes that there is one God. Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one God. The devil believes that, but he's not saved. Is he? Well, how come the devil's not saved? He believes. Because the belief, that kind of faith, is what we talk about when we talk about intellectual assent. I believe God exists. Good. Belief, the word to believe means to entrust your weight to. One of the best ways to describe it to you and, and, and hopefully uh, to help you be able to see is if I'm hanging from a cliff and uh, losing my grip and a, a guy leans over to the edge of the cliff and he reaches down his hand to me and he says, here, grab a hold of my hand. I'll save you. Belief is what happens when I take my hand off of what I'm trying to do and I put it 
in His hand. Now I let go with both hands and I'm holding on to Him with everything I have. That's what the biblical word to believe means. I'm holding on to Him. Is the devil holding on to God? No. Another easy way to see it is, does the devil surrender to God? Nope. So those are definite problems, right? The devil's not saved. The first example that James gives us is demonic faith. That kind of faith doesn't save. Then he tells us about dead faith. Look at the next one. Uh, he says, um, but, do, but do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Dead faith is a faith that is in lip service only. I believe you can save me, but I'm holding on to the cliff. The hand is stretched out to me. That's dead faith. I see the hand and I believe. But when belief becomes saving faith is when I put my hands in His hands. Are you guys kind of getting the idea? So that's dead faith. Then He goes on to tell us dynamic faith. Look at dynamic faith. Real saving faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered Isaac his son on the altar. Do you see that faith was working together with works and by works faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Do you see that a man is justified by works not faith only. Now I told you the purpose of what we're seeing in Romans chapter 4 is faith alone. But remember I told you works is the, the evidence of a changed life. Are you with me? Works is the evidence. That's not something you do. You can't do it. Works is the natural progression out of the heart of a saved individual. It is like fruit on a tree. A tree doesn't sit around and close its eyes and hold its breath and push and bloop, fruit pops out. Fruit happens because it's a fruit tree. Works happen because you're saved. The same concept. Don't start putting your own concepts into it. I'm telling you what the Word is, is laying out for us. So, the evidence of justification is what James chapter 2 is talking about. But you see, James chapter 2 refers to the fulfillment of Scripture. What Scripture? What Scripture? For us to understand it, we gotta we got to flip over in Genesis. Genesis, um, if you go to Genesis chapter 15, you want to flip there, you can. I'll, I'll get there in a second. I'll, I'll try to beat you. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Here's what it says. And he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is justified. Abraham is justified. Abraham was called in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. He walked out in obedience. God gave unto him the promise, and Abraham believed it in Genesis 15, verse 6. He was circumcised 24 years later. 
when he was 99 years old and Ishmael was 13. A year after that, Isaac was born. The promise. Isaac was born. 30 years after that. So we're looking at anywhere between 45 and 60 years after Abraham was justified by faith. James says, we see the evidence in his life when he offered his son on the altar. It's important to recognize the gap in time. What do we call that gap? Sanctification. The evidence that Abraham really believed God. We see. 40, 50 years later. When he offered his son on the altar. But justification occurred at the beginning. Why? Because God knows. Right? God knows your heart. God knows where you are at. God knows what's going on inside of you. And God knew on that day, in Genesis 15, when God told him the promise that Abraham let go of the cliff and grabbed God's hand. Was he perfect? No. Did he mess up between 15 and and uh, chapter 22? Yeah. A couple times. Did he mess up after that? Yes. The point is, he believed. And the evidence of that faith was seen in what he did. So here's what we understand by that. Works are an after effect of true, dynamic, saving faith. They don't come before faith. Therefore, they are not the cause of justification, but the evidence of justification. Is everybody with me so far? I don't want to lose you. I want you to understand what it's about, because a lot hinges on our concept of being able to grasp what is going on. Galatians chapter 3. Let's look at what Scripture has to say. Galatians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. says, Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you, And works miracles among you. Does he do it according to works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham, in the exact same way, that's what that means, in the exact same way as Abraham, believed God and it was accounted, it was put into his account, it was credited to Abraham, righteousness, therefore no. That only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. It's sola fide. Faith. Alone, You have faith to let go of the cliff and grab God's hand. That saves. 
It is possible to deceive yourself, to say all the right words, to do all the right things, to dress up nice, to punch your ticket and say, I've done my duty, I showed up at church, I read my Bible, I said a prayer, and never to have let go of the cliff and placed your hands in the hands of our Creator. We want to do that. We accomplish that. We do that by faith. Look what the scripture tells us. It says, Now to him who works, the wages, in verse 4, are not counted as grace, but debt. Look, let's make this as simple as I can. Trying to work for your salvation is like trying to pay a debt you can never pay. And we, when we do that, are trying to make God a debtor to us. And that's backwards. We are debtors to him. And works then become an outpouring of my love for Christ. We talk about works being or equaling or looking like the evidence of a changed life. Here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to start thinking, okay, well, I got this sin problem in my life. I got that sin problem in my life. So I'm going to spend all my time trying to stop drinking. Or I'm going to spend all my time trying to stop pornography. Or I'm going to spend all my time trying to stop running around on, with other gals on my wife. Whatever your thing is. <clears throat> you got the cart in front of the horse. Simplify. When you love God... More than you love that thing. That will change. The problem is not the sin. The problem is your lack of love and devotion for God. Love and devotion to God changes me. And when I am in a place of love and devotion to God, I don't do that stuff. I don't even want to do that stuff. Because I value Him. I want to glorify Him. I want to love Him. It's a response. Why do I love Him? Because He loved me so much that He took upon His back all my hatred of God. He took upon His back all the dishonor and devaluing of God I spent my whole life doing. He came to take all that. And because he, he came to take all that, I want to love Him. Now, I don't love Him perfect, but I want to love Him more every single day. That's where we want to focus. We love God. Look what he says. But to him who does not work, but believes, lets go of the cliff, grabs the hand... On him who justifies, what's that word? Who justifies who? He justifies who? The ungodly. That word does not ever change. <laughs> Just so you know. It stays ungodly. It continues to be ungodly. It will continue to be ungodly. It will be ungodly until the day you see Jesus face to face. He justifies the ungodly. He fills in the gap between my performance and my position. You get that? When I'm justified, I am positionally righteous. But my performance is not always perfect. He justifies the ungodly. He covers the gap. 
And when I really believe that I really love God, I can't stay in sin. And if I can, something's wrong. And that's all over the word. Don't deceive yourself. He justifies the ungodly. And the faith that we place in him by grabbing his hand is accounted to us. It makes us righteous. In the exact same way. Here's an example again. David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God gives or credits, imputes righteousness apart from the works. David says, here's the blessing. What's, what's the blessing he's talking about? That God gives you or makes you righteous. Remember I told you at the beginning, Romans tells us the one thing we need to have a relationship with God is the righteousness of God. Oh, how blessed. Oh, how happy is the man to whom God has given that righteousness. That's what David, the example of David is. Look at it. Look at it. Here, the, the example of the man to whom God has given righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Three things that we see in a man, woman, who has salvation, has been made righteous in the eyes of God. Three things that they have. One, the forgiveness of sins. Your sins are forgiven. Two, He covers you. That's covering the gap between my position and my performance. He covers me. Just like the, the covering on the Ark of the Covenant. Remember I told you, covers all the failures of men. He covers me. Forgives me. He covers me. And then He forgets. As far as the east is from the west. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not credit sin. In that phrase comes the idea of God removing it. He doesn't credit it to you. He takes it as far as the east is from the west. Outside of his memory. That's salvation. It it doesn't hinge on my performance. It hinges on Jesus' performance. He covers the gap between my position and my performance. He forgives me of my iniquity, my transgression, the sins I sin on purpose. He forgives me. He doesn't remember them anymore when I let go of the cliff and I grab His hand. All my weight is in Him. That's the example He lays out for us. Well, He says then, this blessedness, look at verse 9, does this blessedness, that righteousness that God gives, then come on the circumcised only? Is it only for the Jew? Well, it's real easy to solve that problem because he goes on to say, For because we say faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness, how was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? I told you. Abraham was called Genesis chapter 12. He believed Genesis chapter 15. He was circumcised Genesis 17, 24 years later. Faith came first. Faith. He let go and he held on to God with 
all that was within him. So, of course, it doesn't matter circumcision. So then what was the purpose of circumcision? Look what he says. He says, so, in, uh, in verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith. What's he talking about? He said, circumcision becomes a sign. It is the result of faith, not the cause of faith. Circumcision was the result because Abraham believed God. He was circumcised. Because Abraham believed God, he offered his son. Because Abraham believed God, he followed the Lord. Faith alone brought him into that place. Everything else after is evidence of faith. And that's not, you can't put too much importance on that. Because just like James said, if you say you have faith, but there's no change in your life, James says, I'll show you my faith. My life is different. Here's the tricky part. You had 24 years gap. I don't know that it always looked right for Abraham. Luke chapter 15, we're told three stories. Two of them demonstrate God's attitude toward the lost. One of them demonstrates God's attitude toward a child of God. One is a woman... Who lost a coin. What did she do? Turn the house upside down. Till she found that coin. And when she found that coin. All heaven erupts in praise. Just like she did. When one sinner. Repents. Gets saved. Well what about the guy who lost a a, a lamb. 99 he had. He left the 99. Went and found the one. Those. You go read it. Those two examples deal with. Something that was lost. Lost lamb, lost coin. The third story is about a lost son. And for the lost son, God waited. What did he wait for? He waited for the son to know He was a son. What was the evidence that the son knew that he was a son? That the day occurred when he was in that pig's pen when he said, it's better in my father's house. I'm going home. And I'm going to tell him, I don't deserve to be your son. Well, good. Congratulations. None of us do. I don't deserve to be your son. What was the evidence of faith? The son left the pig pen. McGee tells a story. He says, when the prodigal son left the pig pen, a pig went with him. A pig said, I'm done with this life in the pig's pen. I'm going to go back and be a son too. 
so hard to tell the difference between the two. Depends on when you see him. When you see the sun going to the pig's pen, he looks like a pig. When you see the sun return, he, he looks like a sun. How do I tell the difference? The sun always comes home. And so does the pig. He always goes home. Don't deceive yourself because I can't tell. I can look at you when you're struggling and you're having a hard time dealing with a variety of different sins in your life. And I can look and I can, I can ask the questions and I can lay it out. And you can tell me all the same stories. But I can't tell if when you go into that sin, that's because that's where you belong. Or when you go into that sin, you're, you're just having a moment. Waiting for you to realize you're a son or a daughter. The only person who can answer that question is is you. That's why God said, don't deceive yourself. Don't deceive yourself. It didn't happen from works. It came from faith. It wasn't because of circumcision, right? It was before he was ever circumcised. Well, what about the law? Is it is it about the law? About how well I keep the law? Look, he tells us that from verse 13. In verse 13 he says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through righteousness of faith. You know how I know that? It's so easy. The law didn't exist yet. Stop. There was no law. Abraham's before Moses. Isn't that a crack up? Oh, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this. Well, Abraham didn't have to do none of that. He believed God and he was saved. And the evidence of his salvation was his changed life. He believed. It had nothing to do with the law. There was no law when salvation first came. There was no law. Didn't exist yet. Let me tell you this. If it is of law, there's three things you need to realize. If it has anything to do with the law, three things that the text tells us. Look. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void. Number one, faith would be worthless if it is of the law. If it has to do with you being good enough. Faith is worthless. Next, the promise is made of no effect. That means the promise of God to bring righteousness through the seed, through Messiah. That that, why give that promise? The promise is worthless. It doesn't, it's not accomplished that way. And if it is through the law, the last one, no one is saved. Everyone is still lost. 
Nobody can be good enough. If God doesn't cover the failures between my position and performance, if God doesn't forgive my sin, if God doesn't do the work, nobody else can do it. It is sola fide, by faith alone. The promise came before the law. The promise came before circumcision. The promise was evident in the life of Abraham before he ever did a work. So it's apart from works. It's apart from circumcision. It's apart from the law. That's why it is probably one of the most attacked concepts in Scripture. And the most misunderstood. And we stumble the most over it. Because we we try to make it too much about what we do. Or not enough about what we believe. We, We try to just say, oh, you know. It's possible to stand right here. And say a prayer with me. And be saved. It's possible. To stand right there. And say a prayer with me. And be lost. That is so sobering. In my mind. It's possible. To say that prayer. And be baptized. And try to do a lot of good things. But you know, in here, if you're holding on to the cliff still, if you're looking to the hand that God's extended to you, here, Jackie, take my hand, I'll save you. And all the while, I'm trying to crawl up myself. I gotta, I gotta grab that hand with both. I don't, I don't hold on to nothing else. There is nothing else. And in that moment, in that experience, in that moment of justification, love floods my heart for God. Love floods my heart because I know this is the only way I'm going to make it. And that love, that's the, that's the key to bringing evidence. Are you with me? It's not about what I can work up. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done. And Abraham shows us it's by faith alone. Faith alone. He was saved, Genesis 15. He had works. Genesis 17, 24 years later. So it kind of makes it hard for us to judge one another, doesn't it? Where we're at. See, that's why God said, don't deceive yourself. You grab a hold of Him. It's free. 
All those things we've said all the years long are true. It's absolutely free. It's absolutely by faith. It's absolutely by Him. He does it all. He's the one who enables you. He's the one who brings the fruit. He's the one who gave you the faith in the first place. It's all through Him. But, God don't make us do it. He takes the gift and He holds it out. You and I, we got to take it. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before you in, in the next couple of weeks we're going to be talking about justification and all the the evidence and the fruit and the how we can know and how we can trust how we can realize that that our salvation is not based on our performance if it was we could not be saved but that my salvation is based on my position am i in christ Am I surrendered to Him? Have I let go? Am I holding on to God with both hands? Abraham did it. David did it. Noah did it. All the great men and women of faith in the past before us. That's why the Scripture tells us we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us let us stop loving those things let us stop loving the dark let us stop loving sin let us stop loving that which is destroying us slowly and let us begin to love the lord our god with all our heart and that sin will go and those weights will be cast off and I will finally be able to run the race with endurance keeping my eyes on Jesus who is the author and the finisher of my faith God I just pray we understand Lord Jesus I don't I would be remiss if I did not say we you got to know you got to know that you have done this there's no prescribed formula there's not a certain prayer the right words to say in the right order or the right things to do in the right way it's all about your heart and and laying a hold of the promise of Christ that he said I will make you right with God that's the promise That's the righteousness of God through Messiah, through His Son, Jesus Christ. I will make you right. Please lay hold of what He has. You take His hand and you learn to love Him more every day. That is what it means to believe. And He 
who has begun a work in you will complete you until the day of Christ Jesus. We hold to the promises that you give us, Lord. You did not lay these things out for us so that we would spend our life doubting our salvation. You gave it to us so that we could know. I know what I'm holding on to. I know if I'm surrendered. I know. God, I pray that every person here would know that you came not to condemn, but to make a way. And I pray that every person here would receive that way, take hold of salvation with both hands, and just simply love you. For you will do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would finish, accomplish, do your perfect work as we trust in you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that you would be glorified in the life we give to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.